Welcome back to a brand new episode of The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. And in this episode, I talked to one of Denmark's most legendary entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. He's been involved in many different things, but not least in esports, where he's the owner of two very successful teams. And I don't know much about esports. I was really curious to find out more since it's become one of the most popular activities for young people and actually older people as well. So I found that very fascinating and I think you just might as well. So sit back and enjoy this episode with Nikolai Nyholm. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And and it's great to uh, to not have you here because you are uh, in a you are in Denmark. I am in Sweden. I'm recording remotely today. Yes. So uh, who are you and uh, what do you do? My name is uh, Nikolai Nyholm. I'm the CEO of Refresh. We uh, own and operate um, two professional esports teams, Astralis in Counter-Strike and Origin in League of Legends. And alongside that, also the Blast Pro Series, which is a tournament circuit, um, eight cities, eight large cities around the world in uh, Counter-Strike. So I think today we'll have two types of audiences. One type that knows that this is like one of the absolute biggest sports in the world. How big is it in terms of like numbers? Well, so I mean, I think I actually like to to divide esports out into the individual games because it's sort of the same as just saying sports, which could be anything from football to volleyball to badminton. Um, so if you take a but if you take a game like League of Legends, um, last year the finals were watched by two hundred million uh, people. So I think it's uh, it's pretty significant. Counter Strike, we we um, we speak in the tens of millions when we have the large tournaments. People who are being reached through online sites, uh, online broadcasters like Twitch, or through traditional broadcasters like uh, DR, Ulen, Finland, Globo in Brazil, and so forth. If you combine them all, it's a huge uh, area, and I think one type of audience knows this, so to them it's obvious. And the other type of audience we'll have today for them, they don't even know that. Mm, mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I think that that it is it is a surprise, but you know, at the same time, we've we can all see how culturally significant gaming has become. Um, how it is the the you know the, the favorite pastime, the leisure leisure uh, favorite leisure time of, of of this of the generation that's growing up now. And like any other piece of leisure activity, it moves gradually into entertainment, and from there into competitive entertainment. The same way that, you know, in the 90s, I was watching a guy get on TV to cook. I couldn't smell it. I couldn't taste it. But it was entertainment for me. And, you know, lo and behold, 10 years, 15 years after that, he was on Top Chef or Master Chef, the competitive entertainment format. And that's exactly the same that's happening in gaming. People are getting online, watch, you know, broadcasting what they're doing. It's entertainment. And at one point, these people get together into teams uh, in very specific games, which are then competitive uh, entertainment formats. Right. And when you say uh, the people growing up now, what does that translate to? What 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 kind of demographic are uh, the main demographic for players? So I mean, it's 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 interesting. They're you know they're not as young as as people think. Uh, of course, if you're a teenager who has lots of spare time. Uh, unless you're you're dedicated to school, um, you're maybe in the in in the core segment of a, of a gamer. 
But I mean, I think we see on, on average a, a Counter-Strike viewer is in his or her early 30s. A League of Legends viewer fan is in the, in the early to mid 20s. Uh, these are games which have been around for, you know, Counter-Strike is turning 20 years this, this year. Uh, League of Legends is turning 10. Um, so they're, they're games that have been around and where, you know, a lot of people who used to play have now become spectators and, and fans the same way that, uh, that we used to be playing football or, or badminton. And, and now we simply watch the, uh, the games on TV. Yeah. In which countries uh, or the biggest audiences, which countries do we see those? Well, I mean, it's everything from, uh, so League of Legends is not just huge, but gigantic in China. I think that more of the more than half of the 200 million who were watching the the League of Legends finals last year they they came from from China itself. If we but if even if we look at a at a country like Denmark uh, where I currently am and where our Counter Strike team Astralis is based, we uh, when we broadcast our first uh, tournament in the fall of 2017 on DR the the Danish public service TV, we had ratings of 14.8 percent. In the 15 to 39 year old uh, demographic, which you know is something that the TV hasn't seen for many many years. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you actually do when you run this, these teams. Uh, how does it work compared to like owning a soccer team or something? Yeah. So I mean, when when we came into the industry, you know, just a little bit less than three years ago, I was at that point a venture capitalist, a VC. I had invested actually in in one of the teams, Astralis, and. I was, you know, to, to be honest, I was a little bit shocked at the way that, not so much how the the, the, the company was was run, but uh, how the team, how the, you know, from a sports and performance perspective was run. It, uh, in many ways, it felt more like a playground, you know, playground rules than it than it felt like uh, like pro sports. And, you know, for example, if um, if I'm I was afraid that my my colleague Jacob was going to kick me off the team. Uh, then I would be scheming with you to kick Jacob off the team. That's that's the type of culture. That's the type of dynamic. So what we did, what we went in and did is, uh, is that we, you know, we 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 installed the 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 regime of the pro athlete. Uh, we brought a former uh, Danish uh, handball pro of 20 years uh, on board as our sports director. We have sports psychologists. We have nutritionists. We have a team doctor. We have physical trainers. Who who take the, the who take the players through the same type of of, um, of daily life that I think any any pro athlete does, with of course with the exception that they're also spending time on on front of a screen. But what we do, unlike other teams, is that they actually spend significantly less time in front of the te- in front of the screen. They spend more time on the physical side. They they stay, they spend more time on being mentally fit they spend more time on discussing strategy and tactics and, and common goals as a, as a team um, and i think this is we've, we've definitely seen the the um uh we've, we've seen results uh from this taking you know astralis from being the number 16 team in the, in the world to being the number one team in the world for the past year and a half origin which was a, a new team for us in our very first season we placed number two so so we think that uh, that the you know, treating these uh, esports athletes as as pro athletes definitely pays off. Right, and you, so you are number one in the world. Well, right now we're just number two. We we dropped about a week and a half ago um, to number two for the first time in sixteen months, uh, something like that. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a short fluke. We'll we'll be back there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's super impressive. And if we now ask a question on behalf of the audience that 
don't know so much about esports. What does that entail in in economic terms to be number one in a game like that? Yeah, so I mean, I think you know, if um, I think the Astralis players um, traditionally in esports, the players take home the prize money. Um, I believe they took home somewhere in the magnitude of five million US dollars last year. Um, so it's, you know, between the five of them and, and a coach, it's not bad earnings. Right. And it's, I guess it's good with those audience numbers, it must be growing incredibly with uh, sponsorships and all that kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Sponsorships are growing. Media rights are growing. Um, we're obviously at a much lower monetization level per fan compared to, you know, NBA, NFL, uh, Premier League football and so forth. Uh, but, but, you know, we're, we're making, uh, we're making uh, leaps and bounds. Uh, Astralis as a business is, is profitable, but, uh, but it also, it, it's, it's something which is, is going to continue to grow on, on both the, the income and, and the, uh, and the cost side the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. If I just uh, shift gears a little bit and ask you about um, your background, how, how did you get to this point? Yeah, I've been a tech entrepreneur. Uh, this is my first dabble into into media. This is my fifth company. Um, in between the fourth and and the fifth, so in 2010, we sold. It was actually a Swedish company, uh, Polo Rose, based in Malmö. I worked there for for uh, three and a half, four years in out of Malmö. We sold that to Apple, and I I, uh, I switched uh, gears into being an investor. And one of the things which I, I saw at that point, um, you know, the great thing about being a, a tech investor is that um, you need to know a little bit about everything, but you don't necessarily need to, to know everything about a specific topic. And I've always been an avid gamer. And one, one thing that I did see was that uh, European VCs did not really dare uh, do invest into the gaming world. So I started getting engaged in a series of, of companies uh, Mojang up in, in Stockholm, seriously in Helsinki, uh, other projects uh, across Europe, and quite uh, avidly built up a, a gaming portfolio. And you know, one of the, the I think one of the things I learned most from was was definitely the development in, in Mojang with uh, with Minecraft. And you know, in, in the I met Marcus Persson Notch uh, the first time in in the winter of 2010, before there was even a company called Mojang. And already at that time, something curious was starting to happen, which I didn't, to be honest, really understand at that time. And nor did, nor did Marcus or, or really the rest of the company. People were, were creating videos in Minecraft uh, of them playing or of, of their creations in Minecraft, and they were uploading them to, to YouTube. And that was absolutely exploding. And by late 2012, early 2013, Minecraft had become the number two category on YouTube, only behind music videos. And this was, you know, at that time, I, I, I finally understood this fact, you know, the point of, of ledger activity moving into entertainment. And that's the point at which I suddenly understood that this thing that I've been watching for a couple of years called esports, which I couldn't really get my grasp around. I couldn't figure out what 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 is this really? That that is just the competitive entertainment portion of of Minecraft going online. So so that made me super interested in esports. It made me interested in looking at uh, investments. I I think I looked at 50, 60, 70 investments in the space. 
uh, and didn't really uh, find what I wanted and, and ultimately uh, made me uh, leave the position of partner in, in the venture capital firm and, uh, and start Refresh. Cool. And if you look at like the, the drive, as if you as a person, you kind of, I guess, have your driving force stemming from something in your, in your background emotionally. What drives you to, uh, to do this every day? I mean, I think, you know, having something that you're, you're passionate about that, that I have been passionate about for a long time is, I think is, is always helpful when, when, when building a startup. But I think that that you know what what drives me every single morning coming to work is is also just simply changing this industry, right? It's yeah. it's an industry which grew up and was was uh, was very immature when we came in uh, three years ago. People who had you know been doing land parties in uh, in gyms uh, suddenly found themselves broadcasting to tens of million uh, millions of people, but not really having the background to do it. So coming coming here, creating refresh, um, bringing people in who come from a, a wide from wide areas, from entertainment, from traditional sports, and so forth, has allowed us to reset a lot of these things. I think the one example is the one around how we we work and work with and treat the athletes and simply make them perform better. That's an absolute joy. And and you know, as an entrepreneur, you can you can always see the you can always see the direct effects of of, uh, of your work, and and that's one of them. Yeah, and I mean this this kind of sport. I mean, all all competitive sports today are mental games to a big or large degree, but this, I guess, is a mental game altogether, almost, right? Yeah, I mean, there are certainly mechanical skills, meaning you know how fast is your reaction time on with a mouse, um, but there's a lot of the understanding of a game which which has to do with spatial understanding which has to um to do of uh you know really really a different type of of thinking something very much akin to what a a chess player uh, also does i see i see counter-strike in many ways as a as a three-dimensional uh chess game and and you know we took uh we we were lucky to be invited by the danish air force to, to bring our players through their training. And two, potentially three of the five players would all have passed the basic exams for becoming a fighter pilot in, in the Danish Air Force. So they, wow, they, they have some, they definitely have some skills that, uh, that uh, you know, most of us don't. What's that like? Did they actually do the the tests for actual soldier training? Was that is that what they did? Or yeah, well, they they they, they did the flight simulator, and they they were ultimately actually also up in 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 one of the training jets and very quickly learn how to navigate that jet uh, on their own. Yeah. So, and how how active are you in the actual day to day training, and how um, how much do you know about it? Well, I'm. I have a fantastic sports director. Uh, his name is mm-hmm. uh, Kespavit. Uh, he's a former uh, pro uh, handball player, goalkeeper, also on the Danish national team. Anybody who's ever watched Casper uh, play a match knows that he's extremely passionate. Uh, he also has very strong opinions, uh, and I'm extremely thankful for him being the person who who sets our direction from a cultural perspective within our, our training. Who who, who sets the programs, who scouts the players, and, and there's an immense trust uh, uh, from these players of Casper. Right. I, 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 the reason I'm asking is that I'm, I'm kind of fishing here. I want to know what I can do to improve my own mental game in life. <laughs> 
Well, I think, uh, you know, I think we were the first, um, we were the first uh, team ever in a serious manner to bring on a, a sports uh, psychologist. And I think that the mental uh, coaching of these guys, the understanding of, of, you know, working together as a team, that has been, that was probably the first, you know, let's say 30% improvement that we made on uh, on their game. Yeah, I mean, you should you should just set up a site for like, this is, I mean, the, the, if you look at nutrition today, uh, it's going into um, like mental nutrition yeah. in a big way. Uh, it's called uh, nootropics. Anyway, uh, that is kind of where things are moving in a big way. And I think that has to do in turn with uh, like the, over, the cognitive load today that is just so much bigger for everybody. Yeah. So, so you could probably set up a site here or a service where you just help people improve better mentally with the help of the actual mental pros of gaming. Yeah. Is yeah. that an idea? I, I, could, I could certainly see it. I mean, I mean and, you know, we, I have, I don't know if I'm really allowed to, to reference it, but I, there's a very big consultant, global consultancy um, who I was speaking to a little while back, who, who said that, that their best performing cohort of, you know, young associates were former semi-pro or pro esports players. Right. So, you know, and gamers in general. So you certainly do get some skills of coping with information, uh, organizing information, um, knowing what information is important and what information is not from gaming. Yeah, and I think that that's something that a lot of parents maybe like to hear. You know, a lot of parents in our generation is, are very scared of the kids playing too much video games, but maybe they shouldn't be then. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that you you get an immense amount of skills from from video games. Of course, it has to be in a in a healthy in a healthy way, and I think that's the culture that we're trying to 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 instill also, and that we're you know that that that, that we're trying to spread uh, from Astralis from Origin onto all of their fans, you know, young as well as old. I mean, I, I love the stories of that tick in on, you know, basically on a daily basis to, to us here in the company of, uh, you know, of, of a mother um, writing an email about, you know, how her son lost five kilos, her, her 12-year-old son lost five kilos because he, he suddenly saw that, uh, uh, that, 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 well, I have to be fit if I want to be a, a great gamer as well. Or the father who who, uh, who who wrote an email telling about how his his son was always sitting at the back of, of, of the class, uh, low self esteem, never really dared uh, raise uh, his hand, and suddenly, uh, with the recognition of, of it being okay to be a gamer, you know, he suddenly blossomed. And and you know, those are the those are the stories that that, that definitely make it worthwhile uh, going uh, going to work every single day as well. Yeah, of course. So if you look at your entrepreneurship, you are obviously a Nordic entrepreneur and you've spent time in Sweden and Denmark, possibly some other countries too, or those two? Well, my, my wife is, uh, is from Finland and so I do spend a, a fair amount in, in Helsinki and, and I, had a, you know, I had a quite large uh, portfolio of uh, Finnish investments back when I was a VC. Right. So you know a lot about all these countries then. And wh- how do you see Nordic entrepreneurship uh, in general, and and uh, you know Danish and and Swedish and Finnish and possibly Norwegian uh, entrepreneurship. How do you see them? What do they have in common as compared to the rest of the world? And what have they? What differences are there between these countries? Do you think? Mm. I think I think you know the 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 fact that we have the openness and honesty 
um, I think is is definitely and the directness is is a very important uh, aspect of 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 being the entrepreneur, being able to communicate and and be direct, um, not spend a lot of time in 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 the stuff which is uh, which is uh, less relevant. That's sort of a, a Nordic character characterization. I think the uh, the Finns, uh, you know, despite the uh, you know, maybe the, the, the stereotype of, of not speaking uh, a lot. Um, they certainly speak a lot to, to each other. And, you know, I think the reason why the, the Finnish gaming scene is, is so incredibly successful is because they are willing to share uh, amongst themselves, you know, key metrics, best practices, and, you know, with their closest competitors. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the CEO breakfasts I've been with on, on Finnish gaming CEOs has been one of the most, some of the most candid experiences of, you know, the challenges that every, everyone from, you know, from a supercell down to a, a new young studio has gone through the Swedes. Well, I mean, you guys, you guys dream bigger than us, right? You know, you're, it's, it's, it gets a little bit more sexy, you know, you, you can conquer the entire world while we Danes are, are maybe a little bit more pragmatic at, at times and, and don't always, you know, we can, we can be effective on on small means, so to say, uh, but sometimes we we don't dream outside of of, uh, of the box that we have here. We we're satisfied. The CEO is satisfied when he drives a BMW and 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 is not really considering whether he should be capturing all the rest of the world. So, I think that's a, a an extremely extremely stereotypical view of uh, of uh, Nordic uh, entrepreneurship, but there's probably. <laughs> uh, a little bit of truth hidden here and there. Usually there's some truth to the stereotype. But uh, yeah, I, I have this vision in my head. I, I kind of want to, in the future, view myself as a Nordic citizen rather than a Swedish one. Uh, and I'm, I kind of, I, I think that would be so awesome if we could get together like companies that span the Nordics and where we can really use the strengths of, of all our nations. Yeah. I had one suggestion here from one guest that we should just start a, a type of company that is a Nordic type of company, so that easily spans like the same rules for all the countries and and just uh, legally very easy to manage. Uh, probably as a very difficult thing to do, but as a, as a concept, it's very interesting. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, I mean, I think that you know we as Nordic citizens um, are free to move, are free to take jobs, are free to study across. So yes, there would be some bureaucracy to solve it, but uh, but you know why not? Um, I was living in Copenhagen all the time. I was working in Malmo. I can tell you, it wasn't certainly wasn't easy from a taxation perspective initially, but they they all got it solved. Yeah, the, a lot of the Finns. Uh, I, I spent some time in Helsinki uh, interviewing people recently, and a lot of them said that well, you know, we should produce and have all the the you know the production and all the coding and everything here, and then Sweden should do all the marketing. Denmark should do all the sales, and Norway should finance it all. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was—it's kind of funny, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's not fair because I love the Norwegians and I love like how they handle people and stuff there. But but what do you think about like the overall general idea of that? I think that sounds pretty good, um, and I, I think it's another stereotypical uh, view, <laughs> which uh, which probably has qu- quite some truths to it. Yeah. Um, so if we, uh, you gave me some, some advice, I think on like, um, you know, the, the mental game, but if you look at some advice for an entrepreneur, you've obviously been a very successful entrepreneur. What, what are your top three best advice to an entrepreneur? Oh, um, 
my number one advice and, and really the only one that I can, I can truly uh, feel on my own, own body is that, that uh, you, you want to, you have to want to, to defy something existing, you know, whether that is to create a, a better product, um, a way of living, uh, a way that we are organized as a society. If you're a social entrepreneur, um, I think that it, I think it all has to be be driven from that willingness. And and I can certainly say that that those are my projects that have been uh, had basis in in that have been the most successful ones. Yeah, I think that's um, very true for a lot of entrepreneurs, including me. <laughs> you know, you're fighting something all the time. Uh, sometimes within yourself very very possibly as well yeah and i think it is this you know i think it is this defiance you know maybe the Finns call it sisu yeah but but uh, but i think that's i think that ultimately does does create success yeah i'm just super happy you took the time to do this with me and uh, if people want to find out more about who you are and what you do and um, uh, what's going on with your teams where where can they find you they can find me on Twitter. My handle is Nikolai, N-I-K-O-L-A-J. Um, they can write me an email, Nikolai at gmail.com. And uh, I'm always super happy to talk to people who, uh, who, who are interested in, in, uh, in what's happening in this world of uh, esports. Fantastic. And I, I appreciate that since you took the time to talk to me. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you. I, uh, I hope to see you soon, live as well. And if you're ever in Stockholm, let me know. Absolutely. I equally do too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Walter. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, I think you will love the ones we have in the pipeline for you. We have some truly amazing guests coming up. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast player to make sure you don't miss any of them. Also, we would love if you could help us rate this podcast on iTunes to help us spread the word. That makes a huge difference. I'm Walter Nesland, and I look forward to seeing you soon in the next episode of The Talk, a podcast about changing the world by Nordea Private Banking.